Um, this week we start a new series, and uh, it is reflected on the front of your bulletin. If you missed any of the series on worship, a series of short sermons that you can stick in your shoe or in your heart, uh, you'll want to listen to those on podcast or grab the CDs uh, because those are important messages. But these are going to be maybe just as important. In a different way and for different reasons, this next series on Satan might be uh, one of the most important we've done here at Cornerstone. Many of you know I grew up playing football and uh, played a little bit in a small college as well. And uh, like most sports and like, frankly, most things in life, um, you know this, that preparation is really the key to success, right? Is that right? I mean, can you apply that to a lot of things in life? In sports, we call it having a game plan. You've got to have a game plan. I don't know if you realize this, maybe if you didn't play sports, but uh, you can't wait until you get on the field to figure out what your game plan is. Right? That just doesn't make sense. You've got to have a game plan that's shaped based on other things, other factors, before you hit the field. To try and come up with your game plan once you hit the field is really not, not very smart at all. A game plan doesn't start on the field, it actually starts even long before you begin practicing. When I played ball, the first part of our game planning started with what we called watching game film. Game film would be, uh, back then we got these VHS tape recordings of the team we were about to play in games they've already played. And the first thing that we would do in order to prepare for the game we were going to play against them would be to watch a game of their previous playing. And this is pretty smart if you think about it. If you're going to play against somebody, you want to know something about them, right? Whether it's an individual sport or a team sport, you want to know a little bit about your opponent. You want to know what their best plays are. You want to know who their best players are. You want to know what their schemes on offenses are and their strategies on defense are, right? The more of that information you can gather about your opponent, the better off you're going to be when you play them. That just makes sense, right? I mean, the best players... The best players, it could be said of them, that they had the most knowledge about their opponent. I mean, you think about the Michael Jordans, you think about the uh, Tom Brady's, you think about whoever it is that's your, your favorite or whoever you put in whatever sport you think about the top of their category, it's probably true of them that they are students of the game. And not only that, they're students of their opponent. They know their opponent sometimes better than their opponent knows themselves. They know exactly what they're going to do. I remember when I was a kid and I, I first started Coming to an understanding of this idea, uh, I remember watching um, Willie Galt. Remember Willie Galt? Wide receiver, was said to be one of the fastest men to ever play professional football. Willie Galt would study as a wide receiver. He would study his defenders. And just by the slightest things in the defender's stance or the way they held their head or which foot they put closer to the line of scrimmage, Willie Galt... He said he could know exactly what they were going to do for their first few steps once the ball was snapped. And I thought, I mean, that's pretty detailed. That defenders would look at the quarterback and they know if the quarterback has his right foot slid just a little bit to the outside or to the back, they know what he's going to do. That if a lineman is leaning forward just this amount or if he's leaning back just this amount, they know if it's going to be a pass or a run. And so you would watch game films and you would, you would begin to look in your position, in your area, whether your offense or defense, or really whatever your sport is, you'd begin to look at your opponent and say, I'm noticing some trends, I'm noticing some things he does. If he does this, then I can count on him doing that. And now, when I hit the field, I know my opponent. I, I have a game plan based on what they're going to do, what they're good at, what they're bad at. Our series on Satan 
uh, is kind of like watching game film. It's kind of like having a scouting report on our adversary. Uh, that's what we're trying to accomplish. In six weeks on the topic of Satan, we want to get a scouting report. And what are his best plays? What kind of schemes, what kind of blitzes is he sending against us? That, that's why six weeks on Satan. I want to be clear, though, um, this is no game. This is no game. One of the reasons we're doing this series is because it's not a game. It's, in fact, a war. It's a real, true war going on. Paul wraps up his letter to the Ephesians. If you know the letter to the Ephesians, the last chapter is famous because that's where he talks about, anybody know? The armor of God. Right? And so we know that chapter because of the armor of God. Do you know why he talks about the armor of God? Many of us, we jump through why he's talking about it and trying to figure out what is the helmet for and what is the belt for and what does this do and what do I use the sword for? But the, the whole thing, the whole armor, he talks about the armor of God for this reason. Listen to his words. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 starts this way. Finally, that means here's the last thing I have to say to you in this whole letter. And when you wrap up a letter, you sometimes, very often, Paul would do this, he'd save the most important thing for the end. And so you get the idea that here, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up here. Now let me give you this one more thing that I can't let you do without. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's it, right there. What is the purpose of the armor of God? It's because you're under attack. So question number one in the series is, do you know that there's a war at all? I mean, I use sports analogies here to help you maybe understand the context of what we're trying to do, but it's no game. There is a war being waged. And he went on to say this, before he goes into the helmet, the belt, the shoes, the shield, the sword, any of that, here's what he says. For our struggle, our struggle, be clear on this, is not against flesh and blood. It's not just the struggle we face in life and how hard life is and we, we struggle with finances and we struggle with raising kids and we struggle with this and that. Those are, those are flesh and blood type things. Those are the everyday things that we, we struggle with, right? Paul wants you to be absolutely clear. That's not, that's not the, the real front line of the battle. Here's the real front line of the battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Why are we doing this series on Satan? In, in large part because many of us don't even know that we're at war. That the struggles you face in life, especially the struggles you face in your Christianity, as you attempt to follow God's will, it is a spiritual battle going on. It's not just, it's not just the practical stuff that happens day to day, the physical stuff that happens day to day that makes life hard. But unfortunately, many of us don't know that there's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenly places, but there is. Are you aware of it? And do you know who's behind it? Do you know what his schemes are? Do you know what his best plays are? If you don't, it's like hitting the field without any sort of game plan or preparation at all. This series is about preparation. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, 
When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which is sufficient for you to extinguish the flaming arrows of who? The evil one. That's who's attacking Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit, how often? On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, we are to be alert. Why? There is a spiritual battle going on over our heads that we we sometimes just either choose to ignore, or Satan would love for it to just be hid from us so that we don't engage in that battle. Or maybe we just choose to believe it doesn't exist at all. Whatever the reason may be, Paul says we need to be alert and aware. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for me, Paul says, whenever I speak, the words may be given so that I will be fearless in making known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And that's the end of the letter. We are at war, church. I wonder if I wonder if you know or if you... If you live like when you leave this place that you're in this battle. I wonder if you're in the battle. Some days I have to ask myself, am I in the fight even? I want to give you a word of caution. Um, When Paul calls us to put on the armor, the full armor, I want you to understand that this is a defensive position that Paul calls us to. It's a defensive position Paul calls us to. Armor is for our protection, right? Armor is for our protection. Even, even the sword of the Spirit, which you would think is an offensive weapon, it is, it is, in fact, for your protection. It's a defensive weapon that we would use the Word of God in a, in a defensive stance, taking a stand against the arrows of the evil one. Um, let me put it another way, maybe a little easier for you to understand what my point of this is. Don't go looking for trouble. Not with this guy. I said this a couple weeks ago as I was trying to give you a little commercial for this series. But our adversary is worse than you can ever imagine. This battle going on is, is, is worse than you can ever imagine. He's worse than any axe murderer Hollywood can paint. He's worse than Jason, Freddie, any of those guys. There is no entertainment in the adversary. He is exceedingly wicked, exceedingly underhanded. The Bible will say that he is crafty. You know what it means to be crafty? Any, any of you folks crafty? Ladies, guys, somebody crafty? To be crafty means that you take a bunch of junk and you make something cool out of it, right? You take one thing and you make it something else. Do you know that Satan is crafty in that way? That he can take this and just twist it and manipulate it and come out like this and use it to attack us. He's crafty. I mean, he's more underhanded than any of the most manipulative people you've ever encountered. Take the worst of the worst that you can humanly imagine and just understand that Satan is far worse. This is no game. We're at... We're at war. Are, are you prepared? Or are you just hoping and, and, and thinking that if you ignore it long enough, you, it'll just go away? 
we are, we are on the offensive in a sense. In that we are advancing the gospel, we are on the offensive in advancing the gospel. And as Satan throws up his best defense against us, you need to be clear, you need to be sure that he has thought up, a, thought up every scheme, every blitz, every angle that he could take against us. He's figured it out. And every day he's trying something new. As we're trying to be on the offensive of, of sharing the gospel and expanding the kingdom, He's coming from every direction. Are we, are we prepared? Paul put it this way to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.11. It's on the bottom of your bulletin. It's on the bottom of our series slide. It's the theme verse for this series. In order that Satan might not, what's the word? Outwit us. Outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. That's Paul's hope for us. That's Paul's prayer. Is that as he's trying to outwit us, we would not be unaware of all of his scheming. Now that's Paul's hope in his prayer. That's my hope in my prayer. But the truth is, we are being outwitted. And many of us are very unaware of his schemes. That word schemes could also be translated methods. Are you aware of the methods that Satan uses to come at you? Or is he outwitting you? So um, I wrote in your bulletin, if you showed up for worship and prayer, I gave us sort of a, uh, a warning with the quote from Corey Tinboom, And her quote is this, We must be careful not to advertise the devil by talking too much about him and his devices. And I amen that. That is true. Let me read you what I wrote here because I can't repeat it any better. As we begin this series on Satan, let's make doubly sure that we employ the power of prayer to help guard our hearts and minds. There's a reason to avoid the topic altogether in that even discussing the topic could incite attacks we mean to have victory over. Nonetheless, Scripture also gives us cause to consider such things so that we might be prepared for the spiritual battles we face. Those who are most passionate for the Lord will most surely find matched enthusiasm coming from the one who would see us fail. Do you know that just us going into this series incites Satan to come against us? Uh, I've been very aware as I've been even just preparing for this series that Satan would have it shut down before we even talk about it. He would have us gain no ground in our understanding of his schemes, of his ploys against us. And so uh, that's your introduction and I want to start where we should probably start. If we're wise at all, we should start in prayer. So would you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, we tread lightly on this ground of our adversary. On this topic, we, uh, we move into it cautiously. For we know that he, he, um, he's evil beyond our minds can comprehend. And he's, he's slick, Lord. He's, he's cunning and he's, um, he's beyond us in his craftiness, Lord. And, uh, 
if we think we've got him shut down one way, then he'll, he'll try and come another. And so, Lord, we beseech you with all we have, Lord, as we seek to be prepared for those fiery arrows who he's going to shoot at us for the remaining days of our life. Lord, we ask that you would guard us as we, as we game plan. As we walk through this scouting report, if you will, Lord, that, that we ask for an extra portion of your protection on this body and on this pastor and on this, this series, on our church. Lord, we know that Satan will, will look to attack the very things we uncover about him as soon as we leave this place. I'm confident of it. And so, Lord, I pray ahead of time that you would guard us. Bless, bless our attempts to be prepared for the fight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you six schemes of our opponent in this series. Today is scheme number one. The first, as you see on the screen, is that Satan will, number one, try and deceive you. If there's any way possible for him to do it, deception is his number one ploy. The scouting report on Satan says that, number one, deception is his favorite play. Webster says that to be deceived means to be tricked. It gives words that help describe the idea of deception. And these words maybe are helpful to you. It lists words like artificial. It's not the real thing that he uses to deceive us. Cheating. He will cheat. If he has to, to deceive us. Craftiness, I've already told you about that word. Crookedness, it's not straight. He uses things that are crooked. Cunning, he is slick. He is good at what he does. Comes from the root word deceit, deceptiveness. It carries with it the idea of dishonesty. He won't hesitate to lie, to deceive. Double dealing. To be duped, duplicity, fakery, fraud, guile, on and on and on. To put it simply, Satan is a con man. First lie ever told by Satan. You know where it is. It's all the way in the beginning. It's in Genesis. To Adam and Eve, as God told them, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Genesis 2.17 and Satan Slithers in not too long after that. And he begins on the stage of humanity with a lie. Surely you won't die, Eve. And that's been his MO ever since, hasn't it? That he would lie. He would seek to deceive us. Jesus, in addressing the Jews, would later put him to death. He talked about Satan this way. He says, you are of your father to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the desires of your father are your desires. John eight forty four. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his, one translation says, his own resources. For he is a liar and he is the father of it. Just as the Bible says that Jesus or that God is love, it could be said that Satan is a lie. It is the very necessary nature of God that God is in and of himself love. Satan, this passage says, 
is in and of himself. He is a liar. That's what it means to say that he, he is the father of it. And here's how he works against us from beginning to end. Second Corinthians tells us this as Paul talks and warns the church. I fear lest somehow, listen, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's using the same ploys. From the very beginning, he's been lying, deceiving. And that's the same thing that Paul has to warn the church at Corinth about. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He deceives us. He makes us think that he's an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. He is, he is underhanded. He's a con man. From the beginning, he's been trying to replace himself, replace God with himself. He's been trying to be an equal of God. Um, one pastor put it this way. A guy named J. Oswald Sanders wrote a book titled Satan is No Myth. He said that Satan is the great counterfeiter. Everything that God has set up, Satan counterfeits. God set up a church, Satan has a church. Revelation 2.9 says that there is a synagogue of Satan. God has his ministers and so does Satan. 2 Corinthians 11 says that there are ministers of Satan. He has his own system of theology. His own, quote, doctrines of demons, 1 Timothy 4. He's established his own sacrificial system. Do you know that? 1 Corinthians 10, the Gentiles sacrificed to demons. He has his own communion service. 1 Corinthians would call it the cup of demons and the table of demons. He has his own gospel. Galatians says it's a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you. It's the exact opposite. It's a counterfeit. He has his own throne. Revelation 13 would tell us. He has his own imitation of Christianity, his own version of religion. He sends out false prophets. Matthew 24, and many false prophets will arise and mislead many. He introduces false brethren into the church who, Galatians 2 says, have sneaked in to spy out our liberty in order to bring us back into bondage. He's a con man. He's a con man. He's a counterfeiter. I uh, searched online. I just put in on Google how Satan deceives us, the lies of Satan, the deceptions of Satan. I got, I got several lists from around the world, pastors here and there. One of my favorite pastors, Dr. Tony Evans, he had a list of six ways that Satan tries to deceive us. Number one, Satan does not exist. Isn't that what he tries to convince us of? Because if, if we just believe he doesn't exist, then we don't get in the fight, do we? One Barna poll says that there is a vast majority of even Christians who do not actually believe that Satan actually exists. And I think, as many do, Satan would prefer it be that way, right? 
Deception number two, according to Tony Evans, is God is holding out on us. Satan would have us know that God's not really for us. And in fact, he's holding out on us. Deception number three, God's word can't be trusted. Surely God did not mean you would surely die. You can't trust what God says. Deception number four, Tony says that sin carries no consequences. Isn't that, isn't that one of his favorite lies? Surely God won't judge you. Surely there are worse people out there than just you. Deception number five, you can be like God. Now that's what he was trying to do. I mean, we could all be our own version of our own God, can't we? We're all the master of our universe. We're the Lord of the ring. Deception number six, Tony says, one of Satan's favorite, if it feels good, do it. And there are lists and lists and lists and lists of all the different ways Satan tries to lie to us. I thought about the fact that, um, you know, when, when you ask somebody, what are the Ten Commandments? Now, this isn't a scientific study, but inevitably, the first, if not the second of the commandments that people will will dish back out to you is, thou shalt not lie. I wonder why that is. I think it's because it's been Satan's MO from the beginning, and we have this great propensity in our lost human nature to be liars just like our father. And we, we, do, a, we do a great uh, amount of trying to cover up our lies, don't we? Or, or downplay our lies. I found one list online that gives America its own category of lies. Like we make up our own lies that we are known for. Do you know this? You'll probably recognize some of them. One of them is that the check is in the mail. We've become known for that as Americans. It's just one of our easy lies. I'll start my diet tomorrow. Of course we service what we sell. Give me your number and I'll have the doctor call you right back. Money cheerfully refunded. One size fits all. No, you don't look fat in that. This offer is limited to the first 100 callers. Like they're not going to give it to you if you're 101. Your luggage isn't lost, it's only misplaced. Leave your resume, we'll keep it on file. This hurts me more than it hurts you. I just need five minutes of your time, just five. Your table is almost ready, sir. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit. Let's have lunch sometime. It's not the money, it's the principle of the thing. And the list goes on and on and on. I mean, we have these lies that we don't really consider lies. Isn't that interesting? That in this category of deception, we have flavors, we have, we have tones of deception. It's neither black nor white, is it? I think Satan would have it be that way, the father of all lies. He would have us live in the gray, wouldn't he? The point. Satan's first scheme, and there are five more to come, is simply to deceive you from beginning to end. He wants to deceive you. It's his go-to play. It's his bread and butter. If nothing else is working, even if he's going to try the next five that I give you, every day he will try to deceive you. In every way possible, he's going to try to deceive you. It's number one on the list for a reason. It's his go-to play. Whether you are in Christ or whether you are 
still in sin. Do you know that Satan is working lies from beginning to end? Think about the lies he tries to tell you before you come to Christ. Certainly God can't forgive you. Certainly your sin is far too great. And the list goes on and on and on. Before we come to Christ, he tries to lie us away from the Father of grace. When we get to Christ, there's a whole new set of lies, aren't there? I thought about just having us call them out because you know them very well. Now that you're in Christ, he still tries to deceive you. He still tries to lie to you. Surely that God can't love you. Even now after he's saved you, you don't deserve what he's done for you. I see how you've tripped up. I bet he sees how you've tripped up today. Are you sure you're even saved at all? And it's lie after deception after lie after deception. It's his M.O. It's his go-to play. It's what he does every day and in every way he's going to try to deceive you. Do you know that? What's the only way to overcome a lie? It's the truth. Pretty simple sermon, isn't it? Nothing grand here. The only way to overcome scheme number one of the devil is with the truth. Where do we find truth? In his word. Who does scripture say the truth is? Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and life. He's the light in the darkness. He's the straight among a world of perverse and crookedness. What sets us free, according to Scripture? The truth shall set us free. Lies keep us bound. Satan is a con man. Satan is a charlatan. Satan uses sleight of hand, his own little version of magic, to fool us. Satan is the originator of false advertisement. Do you know that? He advertises one thing, but in the end you get another. One poet put it this way, Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life, but pays with death. I mean, he's pretty good up front as a salesman, isn't he? That's part of the deception. That's part of the con. Surely you won't die. And as soon as they ate it, death entered the world. Number one scheme of Satan is to lie to you. What lies is he whispering to you today? Which ones are you believing because perhaps the truth escapes you? Let me pray for us. Lord, there's, there's not much to this teaching. There's not much to this start of our series. There's nothing flashy here. There's no great, there's no great illustration to be had. There, there's only the simple truth that Satan... He's worse than we can imagine, and he's better at his job than we ever could think he is. And we need to be on guard. We need to be prepared. We need to know his schemes. Lest, as Paul said to the Corinthians, he would outwit us. Lord, we don't want to be unaware. 
We don't want to be unaware. We don't want to hit the field of life and catch a helmet in the ribs because we didn't see the blitz coming. Lord, we want to know, we want to know the ploys of our adversary so that we can guard ourselves against them. There's a, uh, there's a story about the song Ricky finished up with earlier. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We, Kimberly and I were at the Billy Graham Conference Center over the weekend with a group of uh, military couples doing a military marriage retreat. And being there at the Billy Graham Conference Center, uh, you know, it's just an awesome place to be. And as Ricky was singing that song, I remember somebody had asked Billy Graham one time, what is the greatest truth? And his reply, if I remember correctly, was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Um, That song, that song that Ricky finished up with, and Ricky, can I ask you to finish us up with it? That song uh, was written not for children. Do you know that? It was written for soldiers. It was written for West Point cadets. A couple sisters across the, is it the Potomac River there at West Point? Would row their little boat across the river there and visit those West Point cadets. Do Bible studies with them. They would train up these soldiers. Because what they knew was was that these soldiers would one day be going into the heat of battle. And as big and as strong and as impressive as these men were, these ladies saw them as little children. And they, and they wrote that song. And those West Point cadets would be the first ones to sing it. You ever thought about it in those terms? I always think about it when I sing it with my kids. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing. Be reminded that there is a battle at hand. And uh, we need to understand our weakness as we learn the schemes of the opposition. Amen? Let's see. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And little ones to him belong.
prayer for us. We'll be dismissed. Father, there are those who, uh, who aren't able to sing those words because they've never placed their trust in your son. Father, they don't know the, the comfort, the protection that Jesus offers us. And while it is a serious thing for us to talk about the, the ploys of our adversary, to be engaged in a battle with the serpent of old is no small thing. We who are in Christ, we know that we are already victors. We know that the battle has been won. The death blow has been made against our opponent. Lord, there is a life to finish out. There is, uh, there is there's still this uh, fourth quarter, if you will. And he rears his ugly head day in and day out in our life and seeks to drag as many down with him as he can. Father, he knows, he knows where he's going to spend his eternity. And he's doing all that he can to come against those who are yet in your Son. To deceive those who have yet come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. To deceive those who have yet to put their faith in the blood of the Lamb. And Father, He's whispering lies right now to some in this room who have yet to, to trust in Your grace. And maybe He's saying, you've already done that once before. And Maybe He's saying that you're better than most. Maybe He's saying that, that you don't exist at all. Maybe he's whispering to them that their pride is is too important for them to step out and say that their only hope is your son. Lord, we all know that his lies are, are without end. And if one doesn't work, he's going to try another. Lord, for those who uh, for those who are trying to hear your still small voice in the midst of the shouts of our our adversary, would you would you give them ears to hear? Would you give them eyes to see truth and truth in the person of Jesus Christ? And Lord, for those of us who uh, who know the truth, we rest. We do. We rest, Father. But the battle is won. But we put on the full armor. We don't want to be unaware. In our remaining days, Father, we would not be deceived. Lord, would you help us? In Christ's name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a blessed week.